Tomorrow is known as Blue Monday. It's meant to be the most depressing day of the year. It's not a very scientific designation. The whole thing was actually made up by a travel company, presumably in order to try and sell holidays. But the idea is that the combination of post-Christmas blues, dark winter nights and those credit card bills from the festive period landing through your door, they all make it quite gloomy. And I'm sure there is an element of truth in it all. January can feel like a dark month as the Christmas decorations come down and normal life resumes. Whether we do much to mark Christmas or not, most people enjoy the lights at Christmas time. Uh, going out to a, a, a shopping centre or, or a city centre and seeing it all lit up with the lights. Uh, our neighbours had wrapped uh, lights around the railings that go round our two houses and it was a sad day when they, they took them down. Uh, when you would go out uh, at night and those lights would no longer be shining. It's a signal that it's back to normality. And in Jesus' day, the winter gloom was lit up by various festivals which featured spectacular lights. One relatively recent festival in Jesus' day is mentioned in John chapter 10. It's called there the Feast of Dedication. We know it better as it's called today as Hanukkah. Uh, a festival of lights celebrated by the Jews any time between late November and late December. Uh, a far more long-standing festival uh, was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Uh, that happened in the autumn time when God's people commemorated the exodus out of Egypt by living in booths made out of branches. Uh, we saw back in September how in Nehemiah's day the people began to celebrate this feast after a thousand years of neglecting it. And, and this is the feast that's taking place in John chapter 7 and through into chapter 8. If you look back to chapter 7 verse 2, uh, we didn't read it but it says now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And then verse 37, where we began reading, it says uh, that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stands up and begins to speak. And in order for us to fully understand this section of John's Gospel, there are two important things to know about the Feast of Booths. The first one is it involved a ceremony where water was poured out before the Lord. Pointing back to that time in the wilderness when God brought water out of the rock. And the second thing to know about the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles is that during the festival four huge lamps were lit. And their, their brightness shone so far that we're told there wasn't a courtyard in Jerusalem that wasn't lit up by their light. And those four lamps they pointed back to God's people in the wilderness being led by a pillar of fire. Why are those two things important to know? Well, because in chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And here in chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. 
So he's picking up on the symbolism of the Feast of Booths and saying that he fulfills it. The people rejoiced over the water pouring ceremony. They rejoiced over the lights lighting up the night sky. But Jesus is saying that both these things point to him. In fact, we can go back to chapter 6 as well because it also points us back to the Exodus. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 in chapter 6, he's saying, I'm the true manna, I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. Then in chapter 7, he's saying, I'm the true water that comes from the rock. And now in chapter 8, he's saying, I'm the same light that led Israel in the wilderness. And now I've come to be a light, uh, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. I'm sure there was a feeling of sadness on the last day of the feast. As those huge lights were extinguished. As people prepared to head home. But then Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Jews said about their feast, anyone who has not seen the rejoicing of the festival in this life has never seen rejoicing. But that rejoicing was only temporary. Like our recent festivities, it had to come to an end. But in these chapters, Jesus is telling them that it all points to him. That he's the source of true joy that will never come to an end. Yes, it was sad that the time had come to take the lights down. But actually, the true light of the world had now come. And what the carol says about Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born could equally well be said about Jerusalem here. As those lights were extinguished, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. As we saw last week, no one who was merely a good teacher would ever claim that whoever comes to him would never hunger and whoever believed in him would never thirst. That would be an outrageous claim for a human being to make because only God could do that. And in the same way, Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is a claim to be God himself, particularly against this background. This 30-year-old man is claiming to be the one who this 1,400-year festival was all about. Jesus claimed to be the light of the world. It would have been a powerful statement whenever he said it. But it becomes even more powerful when we see it against this background. It brings out the significance of it all the more. So having looked at the occasion on which Jesus spoke, we want to look for the rest of our time at the meaning of those words under two headings. Uh, Seeing firstly that without Jesus Christ, the world is in darkness. Without Jesus Christ, the world is in darkness. For Jesus to claim that he is the light of the world implies that without him, the world is in darkness. That might be very different from how we view the world. We tend to see the past as a time of darkness, but as time goes on, more and more light dawns. 
one of the worst insults to say to someone today is to say, well, you're still living in the dark ages, whereas our age is, is an age of light and reason. Uh, we want to be seen as enlightened. For a start, the word dark ages is a bit of a mischaracterization. A Cambridge University lecturer wrote a book a couple of years ago entitled The Light Ages, uh, where he points out that the time we call the Dark Ages actually gave us the first universities, the first glasses, and the first mechanical clocks, among other things. But even if we still want to go with the term Dark Ages and say that compared to them we're living in an age of light, how do we know that we're not actually living in another Dark Age Can we rightly judge the time that we're living in from where we're standing right now? After all, the people in the Dark Ages didn't call it the Dark Ages. It's only people looking back who've labelled it that. Someone who lived in a cave their whole life wouldn't know they were living in darkness. For them, it would be totally normal. Someone could tell them they were living in darkness, but until and unless they actually came out of that cave and saw the light, they wouldn't even be able to understand what the other person was talking about. Maybe someone comes into the cave one day and, and, and some, someone else who, who has only ever lived in the cave says, oh, that boy, he's seen the light. But if, if you've never seen the light yourself, if you've always just lived in the cave, that, that phrase is meaningless. And if Jesus' claim is true, if Jesus really is the light of the world, then it's only when we come to him that we'll be able to see the world as it truly is. And yet even the non-Christian can surely see some of the darkness of the world around us. Even if we accept that our own day has seen a lot of progress in certain areas, Is it not the case that the world around us is very dark in other ways and that it's getting darker rather than brighter? I think of some of the headlines even this past week. Prince Andrew stripped of his titles due to his association with convicted abusers Epstein and Maxwell. A 23-year-old teacher murdered as she jogged beside a canal in County Offaly on Wednesday afternoon. Revelation from Downing Street, leaving confidence in politicians at new lows. And for all our scientific advances, the most vulnerable in society, the unborn, the elderly, the disabled, they're under greater threat than ever. As well as that, there is the darkness of superstition in much of the world today. We've seen the photos from North Korea of people bowing down to those huge statues of their dead leaders. We see ancestor worship in China, Japan and other parts of the world. We see all the superstition that comes with Roman Catholicism, the worship of saints, pilgrimages and so on. We see perhaps the even worse superstition of Protestant churchgoers who live however they like during the week, but come to church on a Sunday because they think it will keep them right with God. 
Then there's the darkness of people looking at horoscopes and going to mediums or spiritualists in a quest for knowledge about the future or to hear a voice from beyond the grave. And we can't just point the finger at others because there is darkness in each one of us. There are parts of all our lives that we try and keep hidden from others. There are things that we don't want brought to light. There are things that we would say or do behind closed doors, but not when others are around. And by nature, we run from the light of Jesus Christ that seeks to expose what we're really like. We're like woodlice under a log. If the log gets turned over, if they're suddenly brought into the light, our first instinct is to run. That's how Jesus puts it earlier on in John's Gospel. And this is a judgment that light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. As much as we like to see pretty lights lighting up the sky, light can actually be a pretty uncomfortable thing. Maybe you have a light fitting at home with four or five different bulbs in it. And if one of those five bulbs goes, well, the room will get a little bit darker, but it's not that noticeable. And then if you get used to that for for a month or so, and, and another bulb goes... Well, again, it gets a bit darker, but because you've already got used to it being slightly darker, you don't notice a huge difference. But then if a third bulb goes, you do really notice it, and and you think, right, it's time to change these bulbs. And then if you put three new bulbs in at once and turn the switch, you really notice the difference. It will show up dust and dirt in a way the previous setup didn't. The light now reaches into corners that were previously dark. And when that happens in our lives, it's an uncomfortable thing. When our thoughts and actions and lifestyle patterns come into contact with the light of Jesus Christ through his word, we're shown up as far more in need of cleansing than we thought we were. Or think of a sensor light. If you're going to visit someone at night and are about to walk up the steps to their house, it's nice if a sensor light comes on uh, to help make sure you don't miss a step. But if you were going to try and rob that same house, uh, the same sensor light wouldn't be welcome uh, because those who are trying to hide in the darkness don't want light shining on them. Uh, And that is us by nature. (coughs) We run from the light the thing about light is that all it does is reveal what's already there light doesn't show up anything that wasn't there before but it makes it visible and our natural reaction to that light is to want to try and crawl under a rock you see the phrase light of the world on christmas ornaments But while it is good news, ultimately, at first it's quite threatening to us. Jesus being light is not good news if we're still trying to hide in the darkness. And that's every single one of us by nature. 
But there's no point in trying to hide because even if we successfully hide what we're really like from others for our whole lives, a day is coming when we'll be exposed. Hebrews 4 puts it like this. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. (coughs) That is a sobering thought. But God sent his son into the world so that our sin would be revealed now. When there's still time to do something about it. When there's still time to take it to him for cleansing. Rather than just revealing the depths of our sin on the last day when it will be too late. So firstly this morning, without Jesus Christ the world is in darkness. And that includes every one of us. But then secondly, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Imagine you were out walking in the hills with a group of people and you'd intended to be at your destination by tea time, but you'd missed a turn and darkness had fallen. Suddenly you realise that it's so dark that you can barely see the hand in front of your face. But then someone produces a torch. What will happen? Well, you can guarantee that everyone will stick closely to that person. To stubbornly try and follow your own path would be madness. But how can we know that we're not doing that spiritually speaking? How do we know whether we are now walking in the light following the light or walking in darkness or to go back to the cave illustration how can we know whether we've come out blinking into the light or whether we're still in the cave Jesus goes on to say whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life and so the way to know whether we're walking in darkness or not is whether we're following Jesus Christ Our reaction to him shows whether we've come into the light or whether we're still in darkness. We have a tragic example of what refusing to come into the light looks like in the very next verse. Verse 13, the Pharisees say to him, your testimony is not true. The light of the world is standing in front of them, telling them who he is. And they say, you're a liar. They will eventually hand him over to be crucified. They want the light of the world to be extinguished. They want him to be snuffed out. Why? These were very religious people. Why do they want the light of the world to be extinguished? Well, that's exactly it. The Pharisees were known for their religious deeds very impressive religious deeds but it was all outward it was all external and as the light of Jesus Christ has shone on them they've resisted that light as he has revealed to them what their hearts are like they've shut their eyes as he said himself back in chapter 3 for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed that's why people resist him that's why someone will say of a friend who's become a Christian well so and so has seen the light (coughs) 
they'll say it in mockery, but they don't want the light themselves because of what it would expose. Becoming a Christian isn't easy. Well, in many ways, it is. There's no list of things we have to do to become a Christian, no rituals we have to go through. All we have to do is believe in Jesus. But it's not easy in the sense that we have to face up to how dark parts of our lives really are by God's help. And in fact, even when we become Christians, that process is just beginning. Maybe before we became Christians, we realized that certain things we did were wrong. But the closer we come to the light of Christ, the more we see that our problems are far deeper. And we start to see that even though some things we do are outwardly good, we've been doing them for the wrong reasons. Or we see that there's a whole pile of things that we should have been doing, but but we haven't because our lives are just so focused on ourselves. And and because we haven't been doing all those bad things that other people do, we think we're fine. But we see that we've almost uh, totally uh, cut ourselves off from from God's people and we haven't been living out the, the one another commands and so on. And so because the light exposes us more and more the closer we come to it, Remaining in the dark would be more comfortable in the short term. But it's the way to death. We must come to the light so that our works might be exposed, uncomfortable as that will be, so that by God's grace we may repent of them and turn from them. And so if you're tired of walking in the darkness today, come to Jesus Christ. However young or old you may be, in a world of darkness, he is the light. Imagine trying to explain to someone who had only ever lived in a cave how glorious and radiant the sun was. Trying to explain its brightness and its warmth. And yet the glory of the sun, it's just like a pinprick compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. If the sun was shining directly at us today, we would be squinting in its light. It's nothing compared to Jesus. Yes, coming to him will mean we have to acknowledge things about ourselves that we'd rather not. Just like someone living in a cave will only see how dirty they are when they finally come out blinking into the light. But which would you rather have? Would you rather come out into the sunlight and feel its warmth and its radiance and its life-giving power? Or would you rather stay in the cave? Because it's all you've ever known. It's familiar. It's comfortable. Don't stay in the darkness. Come to him because he is glorious. And look on him and be transformed. Last month, the BBC News website had a headline that that read, A 10 billion machine in search of the end of darkness. It was about the replacement to the Hubble telescope. But you don't need a 10 billion machine to find the end of darkness. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then follow him. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. The Bible doesn't say follow Jesus in this life and then at the end you'll get your reward, you'll gain salvation. 
No, it says, heaven is yours now through faith in Jesus. You have salvation at the moment you trust in him. Now follow him. And in fact, your following Jesus will be part of the evidence that you have truly put your trust in him. In the Bible, you now have a, a map to negotiate your way through the, uh, this dark world. And in Jesus Christ, you have a guide. You have a map and you have a guide. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I know some of the boys and girls like doing treasure hunts and making up maps so they can do treasure hunts. Well, the Bible is like a, a map that we can follow through this life. And Jesus is our guide. Sometimes when we make a map for a treasure hunt, someone makes a map for us. We can't work it out. We need someone to come and show us. And Jesus has come. He has shown us. He has lived it out. We have a map and we have a guide. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As Christians, we we no longer have to walk in darkness. We no longer have to live like those around us do. As they grope in the darkness for meaning, significance and hope and they don't find it. And in fact we are now to be lights to them. Jesus says here, I am the light of the world. But he says elsewhere, you are the light of the world to his disciples. But obviously our light is only a reflected light. Do you know that the, the only reason that the moon shines is because it reflects the light of the sun? That's what it means when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Not because we emit any light in and of ourselves, but because we reflect the light of Jesus Christ, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. When you see the moon these nights, remember that. That's what we're to be like. The moon, there's nothing special about the moon. The brightness of the moon, it's just a reflection of the light of the sun. And that's what we're to be like. Nothing special about us. We're the, the light of the world because we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're called to bathe in that glory and then reflect that glory to the world around us. It is a glorious calling, but it's not an easy one. The world won't like us because the fact that we now live differently is a rebuke to them. It makes them uncomfortable. And nor does the fact that we have now come to the light mean that we won't have an ongoing struggle against darkness. If you're born again of the Spirit of God today... If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now, well, there are some sins that you'll probably never be tempted to go back to, but there are others that you will. We all feel the pull of darkness at times. But if we go back to living in darkness, we will lose out both on fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. As John puts it elsewhere, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Pretending that we aren't sinners kills Christian fellowship. 
is one of the things that stops churches being what they're designed to be. If I asked you at the door on the way out if you were a sinner, you might say yes. But if I asked you to, to, to give me a, a list of sins you'd committed during this past week, you, you might be slower to answer. We may be good at admitting we're sinners in general, but we're not so good at admitting to specific concrete sins. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it in his book Life Together, to stand there before another Christian as a sinner is an almost unbearable disgrace. Of course it shouldn't be. The very basic foundation of becoming a Christian is admitting that we're sinners. But as Bonhoeffer goes on, by confessing actual sins, the old self dies a painful, humiliating death before the eyes of another Christian. Confessing specific sins to one another is a painful process. In fact, even just spending enough time with our fellow church members so that they can see our sin is uncomfortable. If our only interaction with each other is two minutes before or after church on a Sunday, we can keep our sin pretty well hidden. But sin thrives in the darkness. Bringing it into the light is the first step to having it dealt with. Sin thrives in the darkness. And as we close this morning, I want us to focus in on that last word, world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those four huge lamps lit up in Jerusalem. And yet Jesus doesn't just say, I am the light of Jerusalem. He doesn't just say, I am the light of Israel. He says, I am the light of the world. Just as God had prophesied 700 years before through Isaiah, speaking of the Lord Jesus, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we're part of the fulfillment of that prophecy this morning. And we support the work of missionaries because that light is still being extended to the ends of the earth. The light of Jesus Christ has shone out from Israel to the nations of the earth and it's reached Scotland, it's reached Stranraer. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Darkness fell on the land as the light of the world was crucified. Darkness symbolising God's anger. But his anger against us was fully satisfied by the sacrifice of his son. And so there may be dark days ahead for us, both literally and metaphorically. Dark days of winter. We don't know what a day will bring forth, never mind a year. But ultimately there is light ahead. The prophet Zechariah, speaking of the coming day of the Lord, says, At evening time there will be light. At evening time there will be light. Some of you are in the evening time of life. But while for the unbeliever that means that an even thicker darkness is about to fall. For the Christian what lies ahead of you is glorious. That even when the time comes that your earthly remains will be enclosed in the darkness of a coffin and laid in the darkness of the earth.
your soul will be in a place of glorious light. But unlike any light you've ever experienced before, this light will come not from a candle or from a bulb or even the sun. It'll come from a person, as John describes it in the last book of the Bible. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And on that day, Jesus' words will be fully and finally fulfilled. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Let's continue to fix our gaze on the light of the world as we sing praise in the words of Psalm 56. (coughs) Psalm 56, we'll sing verse 3 and then turn over and sing the last four verses. Verse 3 is a verse that some of the boys and girls have memorized. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. But particularly, we want to focus on the last verse of the psalm, verse 9. For you delivered me from death, from stumbling kept me free, to walk before God in the light of those who living be. We've been delivered from death. We've been brought out of darkness to walk in the light. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians, the reason that we have been done so is so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Psalm 56 verse 3 and then 6 to the end we'll stand and sing praise. <coughs> 